Thanks, Emily. Um, yes, I don't think I think we missed the children's churches today. So all the children up to twelve, three to twelve, somewhere in there. If you can be dismissed and head out back, Glendale and Emily will be leading children's church. All right, so the rest of you, the few that are still in here, no. I love, I love seeing all these children here. here. Um, if you have your Bibles, take your copies of Scripture, open to John 13. Um, this morning we are starting a new series. We're kicking off a new series that's going to take us up through um, Easter Sunday. And we're going to be looking at essentially the last three days of the life of Jesus and, and what, what all entailed there. We're starting in John 13. We're going to end up in John chapter 21. Um, but you think about, you think about uh, the last, last days of Jesus' life, how much of our faith hinges on what takes place in those three days. If it's not for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, what do we have? Isn't everything that Jesus has just gone through the last three years of his ministry, doesn't that all just get thrown out the door if it's not for the death, burial, and resurrection? So I love, this is probably, this section of Scripture is one of my favorites in Scripture, and I love the book of John to start with. But there's so, there's so many things that Jesus talks his disciples about. But there's, a, there's an intimacy and a connection and, and a heart that you really, you really see the heart of Jesus as he relates to his disciples in these last days of his life. So if you were to think about your own life, you've got a week left to live. What would you do with that week? Or even three days, what would you do with that time? So John 13, I'm going to read, we're going to read the first 20 verses for today. So let me read that, and then we'll come back. We'll get some of the setting, and then I've got two, two main points or observations that I'd like to pull from this passage. John 13, I'm reading from the ESV. So now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, if not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put aside his garments and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, or Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who sends, I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, if you're like me, automatically your, your brain goes to communion, right? It seems like that's the only time that we look at this passage, and rightly so. It is a part of the Last Supper. And one of the, one of the things that I always think about, especially when you look at a passage like John 13, it's one that we've heard hundreds of times, I'm sure. And so my prayer is always, God, give me fresh eyes to see. Lay aside, lay aside everything that I already think about it and come to Scripture and let Scripture speak, speak to us. I love that, that one song um, that the worship team led, The Ancient Words. It's got to be one of my favorite songs, but the one phrase in there, it's changing you and it's changing me. Scripture has the power to do that, but sometimes we have to lay aside, lay down what we think it means and just come to Scripture and let Scripture speak for itself. And so that's always, always a challenge, especially when you look at something that's so familiar. John is the only one of the Gospels who writes about the feet washing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke write about the Last Supper, but they do not mention this portion of it, this, this text or this part of it. So Luke 22, if we, were, we don't have time, but if you go back to Luke chapter 22, it gives you a really good context and a setting for what's happening here. Um, it's the Last Supper, but it, Luke 22 would tell you that at some point during supper, one, there's a dispute or an argument pops up among the disciples. It's not the first time this argument has come up, but you'd think... It's one, of those, it's one of those things that people say, or maybe this has happened to you. Do you ever say anything in a conversation and your wife gives you a kick under the table or an elbow or something? It's like, don't say stuff like that. That's almost what you think when you hear what the disciples are actually arguing about. Jesus' life, he's told them this, is coming to an end. This is, he's telling them this is the last meal he's going to share with them. And the argument that rises up among the disciples is, which one of us is going to be considered to be the greatest? And it's just like, seriously, guys, after all this time, this is what you're arguing about. And yet, if we're honest, are we any different? They're just like us. We're just like them. If we're really honest, that's often what we're really looking out for. And so I think, I, I think Jesus, Jesus goes on in Luke 22 then, and he tells them, in response to that argument, he tells them, look, this is what the non-believers do. But here's what a follower of Jesus is to do. And I think like any good teacher, Jesus then goes over and he gets the basin and the towel and he comes and he puts 
action to his words. He doesn't just tell them what it looks like. He actually gives an example of what it looks like. So two observations in thinking about the example that Jesus gives us. The first one is, what is your motive? And we'll look at it, at that, how Jesus gives us a model for that. And then also, what's the posture that you serve in? So what would move Jesus to this action? And we, this could probably be a sermon all in itself. I'm sure many serving leadership sermons have been preached right from this text. But when, when you think of a display of power, what comes to your mind? When you think militarily, you think, oh, you drop, I don't know what. You, 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 you unleash all kinds of stuff, and you display how powerful we are as a, as a nation, as a country. Um, so that's a display of power. It's a display of force. That's often what we think of as a display of power. I'd want to suggest this this morning that Jesus, here in John 13, gives us a display of power. Because what Jesus, the example that Jesus gives us, and the motive for it and how we do it, I don't think there's anything that is more powerful in the world, that has more, has greater ability to change the world than love and serving and doing it from that kind of a heart. But look at verse 3. I just want to quickly draw your attention to verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that all things, and there's other scriptures that use the exact same phrasing. It's talking about all power and authority has been given to Jesus. So, And it flows straight into verse 4. The NIV says it, so all power and authority has been given to Jesus, and then into verse 4, so he gets up and he washes the disciples' feet. I think... I think the way this is written confirms that the reason Jesus stooped to serve like a slave is because of his authority, not in spite of his authority. I think the power and authority that were given to him was the reason that he stooped down and took the place of a slave because as a guest in someone's house in this time, you would always have someone there when your guests would, or I'm sorry, as a host, when a guest would come to your house, you always had someone there and it was always a slave or the lowest of servants who would wash the people's feet because they walked a dusty trail with either sandals or barefoot. So they may, might have gotten all cleaned up and they probably did. But you get there, your feet are dirty. So instead of letting, having the dirt tracked out throughout the whole house, a slave would come and wash your feet. Not a job I think I would enjoy. Um, it was a dirty job, and there was a reason that that job was reserved for a slave. And yet Jesus, in a display of power, takes the place of a servant or a place of a slave, and he serves. It flies right in the face of everything that our natural self would say is right. Man would tell us, strive for position, strive for power, so that you don't have to do those menial tasks. Strive for power so that you can hire someone to do those things for you. When you have authority, you should be served, not to be or not to serve. 
So, what is the motive behind serving? Jesus gives us an example of serving, and I think this whole piece is about serving, and I think it's right here, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we serve each other, but how do we serve in our families? How do we serve in our workplace? How do we serve at school? Whether you're a student or a teacher, there's no one, there's no one here today that this doesn't apply to. Everyone has been given a sphere of influence, from the oldest of us to the youngest of us. We've been given a sphere of influence, and what we do with that influence is a responsibility that we have. But what's our motive? I want to I talk about motive a little bit, because I think our motive is key. Because I think the truth is, well, I guess you could argue that motive doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your motive is as long as you serve and as long as you do and meet the need that a person has. What does it matter what your motive is? That may be true, but if our motivation is not out of our love for Jesus and a love for that person, that act of service quickly becomes a means of manipulation. It becomes a means to be self-serving because we're hoping and expecting and even demanding that we get something in return. And it, it can be guilt-driven, duty-driven, and I don't think that's why Jesus wants us to be serving. We are to serve from a heart of love. Jesus showed, go back and look at the end of verse 1. I think there's such a powerful phrase. The very last phrase in verse 1 says, He loved them to the end. He's talking about his disciples. Or he loved them to the fullest. Um, Here again, I go back to the NIV because I think it words it really well. It says, he loved them to the fullest extent. And I don't think he's talking necessarily about the cross. I think right here is showing them the fullest extent of his love as he stoops down and he washes their feet. So our motive, Jesus' motive, was out of love, pure love for his disciples. He loved them to the end. So this morning, as you think about your motive, love, being love, it sees, love sees the need that a person has. And if we are, I guess, I don't want to say this, true love is seeing people with new eyes, because naturally everything in our flesh sees what I want first. Love, as Jesus describes it here, takes that same, that same thing that is always focused in here and it begins to see what other people need. It, it's, it, we even we train ourselves, we can train ourselves to see things that people need. Isn't it amazing how I'm, I'm talking to me, here, us as men. Am I the only one who does this? I hope not. You can walk right, right past a pile of laundry that needs to be folded, and you, can't even, you don't even see it. Does anyone else do that? Thank you. We got one honest guy here. <laughs> I do that all the time. And it's like, so that's such a simple, simple thing. But motivated by love sees that. It begins to see that. When, it, when that's not our motive for living and for serving, we walk right past it and we don't even see it. 
So love takes the time and the energy that we normally would use to look out for ourselves, and it sees the needs of others, and then not only does it see the need, but it responds to the need. Now, and here, here is where it can get tricky. We can, we can fool ourselves sometimes. So what if I stop and I fold the laundry, but I do it because I expect something in return? I, I, and if I, that doesn't get noticed, I'm going to be pretty upset. So what, how, do, how do I know what my motive is, what my heart motive is in serving? These are some questions that I ask myself. Do I expect something in return? Am I okay if no one notices what I did? Is it okay if it's not even acknowledged? And if the answer to those is no, then maybe I need to do some heart searching. Maybe, maybe my motive has been twi- twisted a little bit. But there's another motive, and I think this one that, that we see here in, in Jesus' example, or that reveals what our motive is probably more than anything else, is am I selective about who I serve? Do you notice in verse 2 who is in the scene here? Luke 22 and actually the other, all the other Gospels would confirm it. Judas Iscariot is sitting here around this table and I believe he was sitting there when Jesus went through and Jesus washed his feet. He doesn't leave the scene until the end of chapter 13 here. So perhaps the greatest test of our motive is, can I serve my enemy? Do you guys have enemies? Maybe not the people, that, people who are trying to kill you. Sometimes I think, well, we, maybe we don't think we have enemies. But I would suggest that enemies are often the people that are closest to us. The things that annoy us, the people that drive us crazy maybe. Maybe I'm that person to someone else. Actually, I probably am. But can you love your enemy and can you serve your enemy as well as your friend, the person you're closest to or you love the most? So Jesus, and I think, I think in Jesus extending and washing the feet of Judas, he extends grace and he extends forgiveness to Judas in an incredible act of love. But notice what Jesus did not do. And here's, here's what strikes me. Jesus did not demand that Judas respond to his act of love and grace and forgiveness. I think Jesus, Jesus longed for it to happen. And here's where we find ourselves. There's a big difference between demanding that someone respond to how we love them, to how we serve them, and a big difference between demanding and longing for it. I think it's good to long. It's okay to long for love to be reciprocated, for, for there to be a response. But we can never demand. When we demand it, we're becoming manipulative and we're heaping guilt on the person. And it's completely for the wrong motive. I believe Jesus longed for Judas to repent and accept the forgiveness he offered in this generous act, but he did not demand it. It, it was in love, it was love that washed Judas's feet And it was love that allowed Judas to walk out the door in verse 30. It didn't demand that he change right then. So check your heart. Do you love your enemies? Can you serve your enemies? Our motivation must be love. And what's our posture? 
humility, and I need, to, I need to move through these really quickly. So we're called to serve. We're called to, be, to do it out of a heart of love, not a heart that's working to manipulate and to get something in return. But we do it from the posture of humility. There's two different, two different ways I want to look at humility this morning. And the first one I want to look at, think about it this way. If, if you are serving someone, that means that someone is receiving. Are there times in your life that you're going to be on the receiving end? I think there are. And I think we need to, be, we need to model humility in receiving Humility and receiving, and this is, and I bring this in, I, I notice this, probably because this is one of the hardest things in the world for me to do. Um, if, you guys, if you guys would study the Enneagram, you can probably figure out what number I am by me, wanting, by, by me going to here. Because think about Peter's response to Jesus. When Jesus came to Peter's, wash Peter's feet, he was like, there's no way, not going to happen. I think Peter probably just put voice to what every other disciple was actually, were actually thinking. I think they were probably thinking it. And I don't think Peter is saying, there's no way you're not going to wash my feet because he's trying to be a jerk. I think he recognizes this is Jesus. He believed that this is the Son of God. There's no way he should have to wash my feet. Someone else should be washing my feet, but not him, not the Son of God. So is it selfish to be served? Perhaps we resist it. If you're like me, you might, you might resist being served. Let me put it this way. Allowing others to serve us is a mark of maturity and humility. It means we are willing to acknowledge the fact that we have a need. And refusing to acknowledge that fact that I have a need is usually and almost always it's going to be steeped in pride because it's too hard to accept that I need, have a need. Jesus himself, people washed his feet. Just the chapter just before 13, back in chapter 12, Mary came and poured expensive perfume, probably her inheritance it was, it was a tremendous value, poured it on his feet and wiped her, his feet with her hair. And Jesus embraced it. So Jesus himself did it. So I'm going to suggest this morning that we need to be humble, we need to humbly receive, and I, that this, I would suggest that a maturing and secure follower of Christ is able to graciously serve, but also be served. Humility is rece- in re- in receiving requires vulnerability. It means we acknowledge that we have a need, and it means, sorry, I'm trying to think, I I'm, I'm feel, feel pushed on time, so I want to be careful and make good use of my time here. So if you think about washing feet, feet are what you walk through life with, right? Wherever you go, your feet take you, all right? So your feet are going to collect all kinds of dirt and grime, 
Your feet may become calloused. They may become raw. Be sensitive to the touch and, be, and, and hurt. Take that analogy into our spiritual lives. Your feet represent the journey of your life. There are things that you may want to keep hidden. Your life may be filled with the dirt and the grime. And I just lost my place. There we go. Your life may be filled with dirt and grime and things that have taken place in your life that cause you to become hard, that cause you to become calloused, maybe even cynical. Are you willing to let people into those places? Humility in receiving allows Jesus and others, his people, to see and to touch some of those sensitive, callous, and even cynical places in our lives. And I believe that is what starts us down the path of healing and down the path of freedom. And secondly, humility in serving. I'll just look at this really quickly. And this is maybe, this is more comfortable for me to talk about than it is to receive. Humility in serving takes the focus from self and it puts it on the needs of the people around you. Do you ever think about it this way? It's physically impossible to wash someone's feet, literally, physically, physically impossible to wash their feet without stooping down, placing yourself lower than that person. I guess unless you stand them on their head or something, you either elevate them up here so that you can wash their feet or you stoop down before them and you wash their feet. I think that physical posture of washing feet is a physical picture of the heart posture that we are to have towards one another. It's a true picture of what humility is. And here's the other thing. When you wash someone's feet, it means that you have to touch the grit, the grease, the sweat, the grime that are on those feet. You can't just stand back with a hose or a power washer and start spraying it off. You actually get in there and you wash and you get the dirt on yourself. It, it's the whole idea of one anothering. It's serving. It's walking closely with that person. Humility and serving means that you and I must be willing to get our hands dirty It means that we see the pain in the people around us and we walk with them in that pain, in that questioning and in their struggle. There's incredibly practical sides to that as well, but we're going to just think about that. Ways that you serve, it means you get your hands dirty. You get directly involved. So in conclusion, talk about Our motive for serving, which is love. We talk about our posture in serving and in receiving, which is humility. There's also a symbolic picture in this this passage of feet washing that has a deep spiritual meaning for each one of us. And if you and I are to have a heart of love, purely motivated by love, and also being able to serve with true humility... There's something going to have to take place deep inside here because it is not natural to any one of us. There is a need for a deep inward cleansing and a change of heart. Peter, or Jesus told Peter that unless I wash your feet, you have no part 
with me. Feet are something that to need to be washed every day, right? So this was a daily thing, and I think the picture in the spiritual metaphor, the symbol, symbolism is you and I's life need to be cleansed on a daily basis deep inside. It's not about your salvation. Your salvation is secure. But you and I need to be cleansed on a daily basis and be washed just like the disciples' feet were washed. And one way to do that is I read this scripture, this passage, this last week over and over and over and over and over again. If you want to be undone, Take scripture and just read it over and over and over again. I was so stinking convicted, it was crazy. I'm amazed. No, I shouldn't be. But I am sometimes at how selfish and self-centered I really am. I like to think I'm not. But when I get right down to it, I am so stinking selfish. And there's only one thing that can change that. I, can't, I, can, I can work hard. I can try to serve someone. But unless it's changed from the inside and it works its way out, it'll never last. Selfishness usually displays itself first at home, maybe with your family, the people you love the most. So how often... Are you scrolling on social media instead of reading a book with your child? How often do you tell your children, maybe later? And then again, can you walk past a pile of laundry and not even see it? How about taking 10 minutes to stop and visit an elderly neighbor? And those things, they, they filter out into every area of our life. We don't see the sadness in the eyes of the person that we're talking to. We don't see the pain that they're enduring in life. We don't see the loss that they've just gone through. We ignore, you name it, fill in the blanks. What are you and I not seeing? What am I ignoring? So as we look at serving one another in love and humility today, I hope that you're struck as I am with the need for a deep inward cleansing it needs to be a change that comes from the inside and works its way out. It can't work the other way around. And I think that's at least the part, the, what this passage is pointing us to. I don't believe that there's any way for us to truly love and serve in humility unless there's been a radical transformation that's taken place internally. We need to let Jesus, the Son of God, wash our feet every day if we want to be clean and so that we can serve and love as Jesus did. So as we leave today, ask Jesus for a heart, a heart change so that you and I can begin to see the needs and respond in love and humility to those needs. Thank you for your time. I invite you to stand. Worship team will come up for a last song. Let's pause and pray. God, thank you this morning for the power that is in your word. 
Lord, your word is living and it's powerful and it's breathing and it, and it fills into, spills into every little corner of our lives, God. And I pray that we would allow your word to change us, to change us from the inside out. And as we go into this next week, God, give us eyes to see the way that you see and hearts that are willing to serve and able to serve the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.